Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. If you've heard of the Camino de Santiago, you know it's a renowned walk and a powerful experience for many. Today, we have Emily Rand on the show, who has walked it four times. We will talk all things Camino, as well as how she gave up her nine-to-five corporate job to spend her time exploring the world. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, you have you have a really incredible story that someone on our team met you in Portugal, I think it was, and yeah. uh, uh, she would say, you have to talk to Emily on the podcast. So I'm super stoked <laughs> to hear this because it's very rare people say you have to talk to this person. They're so interesting. So uh, I'm super excited to, to, to find out more. And why don't we start with the Camino? You've hiked it four times. What makes it so special for you? Yeah, well, first of all, shout out to Anne, because she was so fun to talk to. I just met her at a lunch in Porto, Portugal. So uh, it was really nice of her to connect me to you. So um, the Camino, I did my first one in 2018. I was about to turn 40. So I wouldn't call it like a midlife crisis or anything. I just, I had learned about the Camino in Australia in 2011. And I'd really wanted to do it. I'd researched it. I kind of dreamed about it. But, you know, life and work was in the way. So it just kind of took some time for me to like find a window to be able to go do it. So I did the Camino Francais, which is, I think, considered the original way. It's from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in the south of France. You go over the Pyrenees and then to Santiago. Um, it was just an incredible life-changing moment. And if I would have known the first time I did it that I'd become addicted to it, I don't know. <laughs> like it's now become my lifestyle and I've just, I've left everything for it. So, and I mean, and traveling and writing and I changed my whole life because of it. So I think it's a wonderful way to see a country and to travel. And I mean, I think if you, you have to know yourself. So I'm not someone that's really good at laying on a beach. I can do it for two or three days. But when I travel, I really like to be learning something, whether it's a new language or like I went and learned yoga in Bali, like Ashtanga yoga. And so I need to be doing something physical. And the Camino is just such a great way to meet people. The whole world is walking, you know, from all over the entire globe is on this trail. So it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to see the country, learn about, you know, just the culture, the history, the food. Um, I kind of compare it. I used to live in New York and the marathon went by my apartment. And I, I just feel like it's similar to that. And like, it's all of humanity rowing the boat in the same direction. So like you could be walking down the road and someone will yell Buen Camino, which means have a good walk. And you say that thousands of times a day to each other and the locals will say it. And it's just such a beautiful way to experience the world. And it's really safe, especially like I'm a female solo hiker. So I feel like it's, it's very safe. People worry about getting lost. You really can't get lost because there's arrows everywhere and they have really nice guidebooks. And it's just that you always have a hot shower or a cold shower if you need that and a bed to sleep in. And it's just a really great way if you like to long distance hike, but you're not really a camper, you know, cause like in America, it's, it's a little difficult to do like the PCT and the AT. Like you have to be like, I'm not, I'm kind of a novice hiker. Like I'm not that capable yet. So um, I just think it's a really nice way. And plus for me, it's been very transformational. I've learned so much about myself over the four Caminos that I've done. So, and I've made friends from all over the world. So it's really great. 
Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like the first thing that hit the Camino was when Paolo Coelho's The Pilgrim. Right, The Pilgrimage. Yeah. Oh, yeah, The Pilgrimage came out and that was big. I guess there was a book that came out around that time. But I also feel you mentioned the PCT and Cheryl Strade's book about uh, the PCT. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to do that, but I don't want to camp and carry a bag. Is there something else? So hang on, let's go to Spain and have good food and wine and, you know, stay in cute little family run inns uh, where it is. It, it's a really kind of... It, I wouldn't say it's refined, but it really feels refined. Like I'm, I'm in Canada, you know, it's totally different than, than backpacking the mountains because you can get a delicious meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and have a shower and, you know, brush your teeth and things like that. It's kind of a joke because on the original way, like you walk five or six K and then there's a coffee shop and you stop and you have a coffee and then you walk another five or six K, which is, you know, like not very far. So three or four miles. And then it's like, okay, we'll stop and have another coffee. And so, um, a, a few of them are different, you know, so I've done the Frances twice in 2018 and 2021. And then I did the Norte in 2022 and the Norte has a lot less people. And it's the route I took started in Irun and it goes across the top of Spain and then drops down into Santiago. Um, I feel that it's probably the most beautiful because you're along the coast and in the mountains, but it's definitely the most physically challenging for me. Um, the Frances always will hold a special place for me because it was my first one. And I feel like it's the original way, but this year I actually did the Portuguese Camino from Lisbon. And I would say most people start in Porto. So between Lisbon and Porto, there's not many pilgrims, but, and there's not really that many accommodations, especially the first few days. It's a nice walk, especially after Porto, because there's several routes, so you can go inland or on the coast and um, really have a nice experience and meet a lot of nice people. And it's fairly flat, so <laughs> along the coast, along the coast. So, so anyway, that's the one I took. So, so before you did your first big walk, had you done you know big active holidays, or was it kind of like the first time you'd ever kind of just walked for four weeks was your first Camino Frances? Yeah, I, um, I've always been like a sports person. So I played sports growing up, I worked in professional sports for three different teams. I've always liked to be active, but I had never experienced a holiday like that. And I had lived abroad before I lived in uh, the Czech Republic in Prague when I was right out of college. So I loved to travel. And I had been traveling like, to all over the United States, plus all over the world way before the first Camino. But there was just something about the way I think there's a beauty in the rhythm of it as well. There's, I'm not really a routine person. I'm very spontaneous. I love adventure, but there is a beauty in the way of you get up every morning, depending on what time you're, or which time of year you're hiking. Like I hiked it in July and August. So I got up at five and was out the door at five 30. Cause you want to beat the heat and get up, you walk, you have a cup of coffee a little bit later, you get to your destination you know, you shower, you do your laundry, you maybe take a little nap or see the town. And then it's like you have like a pilgrim meal together with other pilgrims, go to sleep and you get up and do it again. And there is like this beautiful rhythm in that. But there's still a spontaneity because you don't know what you're going to encounter the next day because you're moving forward on the path all the time. But I don't know, there's just something really, I don't there's kind of a transformation in that, I would say it's kind of Zen like. You know, so I think these pilgrims from ancient years knew what they were doing when they were walking it. But so, yeah, it's really, be it's a beautiful path. I think with any kind of long journey where you're, you know, moving yourself, whether you're cycling, skiing, biking, uh, walking, it's the simplicity. You know, you're not worried about totally what have I got? I've got to do I have to go and, you know, do my emails or make some calls or run errands. It's just I got to wake up and walk 
and then have a break and then walk and then have lunch and then walk and then take a break. And life just becomes so simple and you have time. And you also, you don't know where you're going. Like, so every day you have, I had one guy tell me, it's like you have thousands of these little minor micro joys. And it's like, you come over a hill, you're like, this is beautiful. Or you go into a little village, like, oh, there's a great patisserie here. Or you have the best coffee in a cafe. And it's all these little things where in our regular life, we kind of do the same thing. We go to the same job. We have our favorite restaurants. We go to the, the cafe near our house. And when you're, when you're on one of these big trips, everything's different. And you get rid of like kind of all the all the stress that you know makes lives challenging in in our regular lives. Well, and the other thing too, because you're you're carrying everything you have in your backpack. So I have two outfits typically. I have you know either I'm wearing it or it's either washing and hanging on the liner in my backpack. And then you just switch, you know, because you sleep in your clothes, you get up, you go. So you don't really have a lot it really frees you. It frees your mind. Like I, I do think when we have a lot of clutter, it, it tends to weigh us down mentally, which, you know, shows up in other areas of our lives. So having this just on your back and you know that your home is there. I read a blog post when I was researching before I ever walked a Camino and some guy wrote, you know, everything in your bag is a fear. So it's a fear that it's, the universe isn't going to provide it for you. So I really kind of took that to heart. My first one, I did not have hardly anything. Now I carry mascara and like my little, <laughs> my little luxury items. But like, I mean, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And so, you know, I took three pairs of socks, three pairs of underwear and two outfits. And that was like it. And it was, it was really, it was life-changing for me. It was really good to realize how much I didn't need. And so I sold my house. I gave up my New York apartment. I got rid of, gave all my furniture away. I have a storage unit and a phone bill and that's like it. <laughs> it's funny how many people, when they come back from a big trip, that's what they do. They, they kind of just get rid of all this stuff. They realize they, they don't need. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned twice the word transformational. Uh, you said it changed your life you know, maybe dig in like, like, so how are you different from the person, you know, the first day you did the Camino in 2018? Well, I mean, I think we're constantly evolving. So I would say I'm much more patient and I'm much more in the moment because when you walk to see a country, I mean, you're not getting anywhere fast. (laughs) You're only getting as fast as your legs can go. So it really taught me to like enjoy and be present where before I was really just checking boxes. I mean, I had a very fast paced career and I was very busy, had tons of friends, lots of stuff. And I feel like I missed a lot because I was so focused on the next thing. And, and the Camino literally slowed me down. I'll never forget. I flew back to New York after that. I was, I had been living in New York and, um, I got in a taxi cab and I was like, Whoa, like slow down. (laughs) Like I hadn't been in a car, you know, in a while. And so it was, it was, it just went so fast. And then I was like, but I'm missing everything. And when you're walking the Camino, like it's amazing what you notice, like the flowers, the butterflies, the, the, you know, just all this little things around you. And, um, I think that's really a beautiful part of life. You know, I mean, of course we need to have jobs and pay bills and have money and all those kinds of things. But, you know, since I've just recently started a blog, like in the last year and kind of the intention for my blog is I don't want you to come follow my footsteps or like do what I do. I don't want you to like, I'm not going to recommend the top 10 things to do in Paris because you can (laughs) research that yourself. But what I hope that I can show is that what is happening to me in my environment, I just write about, 
I'm kind of an observational writer. So I write about the people I meet or the experiences I have. And um, to kind of skip a little forward, I was on the Via Francigena just a few weeks ago. And there's not very many people walking that, first of all, it's a Camino. But um, I met these people and I was walking with them and they walked much faster than I did. And I wasn't paying attention. And I ended up getting a blister and I was like, oh, you know, like, and then I thought about my day and I was like, I don't even remember that walk and I won't be able to go back and see it again. And I was walking through Tuscany in Italy, you know, so I was like, oh man. And I wrote about that. I was like, I wasn't present and I've really tried to do that. That's one of the things I've worked on. And so with my writing, I don't want you to come and walk because I walked, but I got a really nice email from a woman that I did not know. And she said, because of your blog, I realize I need to be more present with my children. And so that's one of the biggest things it's done for me is it's made me more, a more present person in my life, you know? So, cause I feel like all of us are running like social media and, you know, we're just checking boxes and going and going and going. <laughs> so like these long walks that I've done has really slowed me down in a good way. It's interesting. We had one guest who's a writer and she talks about the benefits of walking. And one thing she talks about is there's a lot of studies that show it's similar when you're walking alone without talking. It's similar to meditation. And when I hear you, you know, one point I hear it sometimes is like there's this feeling of, you know, joy and like a calmness that that's coming through, like a tranquility from this busy lifestyle. And you talk about walking with other people and all of a sudden you're back to talking and things moving around a lot as opposed to other days where you just kind of you soak in what you're looking at. Well, and I was always like, I have a lot of energy. I've always been, I was an active kid. My parents had me in every single sport possible. I was on three teams at one time, plus gymnastics, piano lessons, whatever. They just had to keep me busy because I was always going. And I find that with the Camino, I'm physically moving, but like I, it calms my mind down enough because I'm, I think I'm getting the energy out where it's like I can mentally be there, you know? Maybe I have ADHD. I don't know. But like, <laughs> it's like, but I've just always been very busy and I like a fast lifestyle. So this has been such a contrast and it's been really good. The other thing it's taught me, um, I remember one of your questions was, uh, what's one of your best memories from the Camino? And this memory was a life lesson for me and, and it changed really how I, I do everything. It has to do with judgment. And when you hike the Camino, so to get the Compostela, which is the certificate at the church that says that you walked it, you only have to walk the last 100 kilometers. And that starts in, pardon me, I don't know, it's either Saria or Saria. I don't know how you <laughs> say it in Spanish. But um, so a lot of people will, that's the most, the majority of the people start there because that's what you need to get the Compostela, which is great. But the through hikers that have hiked, you know, they're going to hike 500 miles, 800 kilometers they get really annoyed because they've been in the silence and the open space. And then you get to this last 100 K and people had warned me about it. They were like, it's kind of like an overload for like your, it's like stimuli, like everywhere. So I get to the, the town and I'm like, Oh my gosh, here's all these people. And they've got new shiny shoes and they smell good. And they, you know, they have like cute fun t-shirts and then they're in groups and everything. And here I am like, I have this perpetual smell and it's like, we haven't really been taught. I mean, it's like small groups of people. So it's very loud. Everyone's. And the thing was, it's like, they're very unaware hikers because they've just started and everything is new and exciting. And it taught me that like, 
you don't know what you don't know when you're new at something. So like I had to learn a lot on my first pilgrimage, right? But when I got to this, it was like, here's all these new pilgrims. And people judge them harshly who are like the through hikers, right? Like they're like, they don't know what they're doing. They're like, loud. they're not going to get anything from this. They're jerks. They cut in line <laughs> to the coffee shop. And, you know, and it's really kind of a, it's like a battle between the new hikers and the through hikers. So anyway, I don't know. The first day after that, I meet this lovely older woman. She's probably in her 60s. She's from South America. And pardon me, I tear up every time I tell this story because it's so impactful. I'll try not to. But um, she's from South America. And so we're walking and talking and she had started in Saria or Saria. And I said, well, you know, just curious, like, why, why did you start there and not in St. Jean? And she said, you know, um, I've been walking this, I wanted to do this Camino for 30 years. So I'm 39. So she's wanted to do it most of my lifetime. And she said, but my life hasn't always been easy. I was in an abusive relationship. She's like, I have two wonderful daughters, but my husband was physically abusive and I left him when they were very young. So I was a single mother. I was a housekeeper and I just, she said, but I always had this dream to do it. And so she's like, I've been saving for 30 years, but now my kids are grown. They have their own lives. And now I have a little bit of time. She goes, I don't have much time and I don't have much money. And this is all I could do. So I'm finally walking to the church. But she'd been walking the Camino her whole life, basically. And I was like, whoa, like I should never judge anyone based, you know, because like she's been doing it, just not on the trail. She's been doing it every day of her life, saving money and, you know, walking this thing without being on the path. But um, it was just amazing to me. So then a couple of days later, I meet this young, good looking girl. She's 24, 25 years old, legs just rock solid. And I was like, wow. And she has like this huge backpack with camping gear and everything. I was like, wow, where'd you start? And she's like, my front door in Moscow. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, who's the novice now? Right. So it really taught me about judging. Like you can't judge someone's journey ever because they're doing, everybody's just doing the best they can. Right. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to walk further than you or have more money than you or be better looking than you or whatever. And you just, you just have to meet people where they are. And I really think the Ram Dass quote is like the best. It's we're just all walking each other home, you know, and how we get there is our own business and it's not anybody else's and how far we walk is not, it's not anybody's place to judge. So I've learned a lot from the Caminos, from the people on the Caminos, you know. That's such a powerful message and story. Just, and it's true. Everyone, everyone has, is living a, a different life and has different challenges. And, um, you don't often get to interact with that many different people. You know, I'm just thinking now on a Camino, there's so many people you meet when you're on, you know, other walking tours, you meet lots of people that you'd never interact with in real life. Everyone has such a different story and sometimes they're beautiful and sometimes they're painful. I remember I had dinner with a guy on the Portuguese Camino just a few months ago, and he was from Romania, and we were the same age. And he talked about growing up in Romania in the 80s. It was very different from growing up in the United <laughs> States in the 80s. You know what I mean? And it was just really interesting. Like, And so I think, I think the Caminos taught me patience, not to judge, being more in the moment, and giving grace to people. You know, like we're all just doing the best we can. And some days your body works and some days you feel like you can walk 30 K and other days you can only walk 15 K because it just isn't working that day. And so it's really not 
not our place to like look at someone else and say, oh, they need to be doing better or that they're doing something against us or anything like that. You know, it's it's we're all just doing the best we can with what we've got, you know, because on the Camino, sometimes people you can ship your backpack. And sometimes people say, that's not a real Camino if you're not carrying your backpack. And it's like, well, you don't know what's going on with that person today. You know, so I've just learned I've learned a lot through the little things that happen on the Camino. So it's been good. It sounds like those are really powerful messages and not just not just for the Camino, just for life in general, which which I think it's impressive to learn that just, you know, uh, I always think it's kind of crazy. We're just out walking <laughs> like, you know, we're just out walking something that, you know, we've done for thousands of years, but it has this dramatic effect on everybody and everyone has even a slightly different result from it. Uh, you know, some people discover empathy or compassion or um, you know, a lot of people become more, um, more curious. You know, I hear a lot of people, they kind of live their life, not really thinking of other people and they go on a big walk and then all of a sudden they like, Oh, I'm super interested in people now. Um, because you know, it's, it's hard to make those connections in a New York city coffee shop. Whereas you put your bag down somewhere on the Camino and you look over your smile and you just talk about, you know, whatever happened the, the last day or what was coming up or, or something like that. I think it's good for people um, if you're not Spanish and you're not from Spain and you're considered a foreigner, especially like an American, you become the minority and you may not speak the language and you don't know about their customs and traditions and how they do things. And so it's it's also a teaching lesson in humility, I think, um, to show that, you know, even though we're all different, we're all just living the lives the best we can. We may speak different languages, we may look different, but we're all just trying to live our lives. We're all just trying to, you know, have jobs and family and friends and make money and survive. And um, But it's good sometimes to see, to be the minority, I think, to put yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable. So it's like they say with people when they get money, it doesn't change, money doesn't change you. It just exacerbates who you were. So if you were nice, now you're a nice person with money. If you were a jerk, now you're a jerk with money. And I think the Camino does that. It is a big mirror. So if you're impatient, you're going to hit every little thing that forces you to have patience, you know, because especially in Spain, because they're on their own time, you know, compared to the Americans. So I always say like the Camino gives you what you need, not what you want. And so if you're going to go and do a Camino, you're going to learn a lot about yourself because it's going to test you and it's going to challenge you. And I find it very funny because people always focus on the walking. They're like, oh, the distance. That is not what breaks people down. You know what breaks people down? Sleeping in a room with 20 people, <laughs> having a gross shower, like, you know, or there's no hot water or the dinner, the restaurant doesn't open until 730 at night and you're tired and want to go to bed. Those are the things that will destroy a person on the Camino. It's not really the walking, which makes me laugh. You know, it's the, those things that we're used to having, uh, the luxuries or comforts in our own environment. And now we're in a foreign environment and it's like, well, we have to play nice with others when we're in a room with, you know, six other people, you know, trying to go to sleep at a certain time and wake up at a certain time. Uh, yeah, the dormitories are definitely challenging if you've never never been in one. Right. Um, so so you've done the Frances twice, the Portuguese, and the North Day. You know, for someone who hasn't done any, what would you recommend as the first experience? I feel that everyone's journey is different, and I feel like you need to go to what you're called to. So, and with that said, I just did the Via Francigena in Italy. So it 
technically starts in Canterbury, England, runs through uh, France, Switzerland, and the and to Rome. It's the road to Rome. And the reason I just hopped over and did it, I only did Siena to Rome, which was two weeks, 13 days. And because Spain is getting so overrun with people, like there are pilgrimages and Caminos everywhere. There's the Shikaku in Japan, which is, you know, you go to the 88 temples. It's the, it's the sister to the Camino Frances. There's, you can hike in Ireland, Scotland, there, there's stuff everywhere. So, and there's stuff in your own backyard. It's just, you need to look for it. But, um, I honestly think if you have read about something or heard something or feel drawn to it, I, I think you can't go wrong. You should go where you're pulled to because you're going to meet the people you're supposed to meet. If you follow your intuition, you're going to have the experiences you're supposed to have. I mean, I've had some incredible magical moments. I've met people that I probably shouldn't have met, but we, you know, our lives intersected because of these, you know, the timing of things. So I think if you're open to to letting life lead you, you'll find the right Camino for you, you know, cause I can't really say, and I, and I can't stay, say where you should start because that one girl started in Moscow. And then this other woman from like Colombia has been, you know, doing her daily stuff, saving pennies and, or not pennies, whatever their money is in jars. And then could o- only had time and money to walk the last hundred K. So you have to, you have to know yourself, you know, like I know people who've done the whole via French and that's like, 2000 miles or the PCT or whatever. And I don't, I, I don't think I can do that. I don't think my body can, can do it all in one shot, you know, but I can do it about a month. That's, that's a sweet spot for me. I'm interested in the, uh, Francie Jenna in terms of you just did it. So did you do it in June or was it into July? And then like, how hot was it? I, I was always worried for that one. Oh, if you go in summer, it's going to be smoking hot in that part of the world. Yeah. So it is. Well, so I did the Francaise twice in J- July and August, which is just crazy. It's nuts. I don't know why I did it. But but honestly, that's when I felt called to do it. It was like, and I didn't, I booked my plane ticket like two weeks before I went. So that's how nuts I am. And same with Portuguese. I, I was like, I just feel I need to go do it right now. So, um, and with the Via Francigena, I had no intention of coming to Italy to do it, but I have spent a lot of time in Italy. I have learned a little bit of the language. So I thought, I want to go write about the- It was mainly for my writing, for my blog. I wanted to go showcase a different pilgrimage because I've just heard that Spain is getting overrun with people and they're worried about beds and all that kind of stuff. So I finished the Portuguese in the first part of June. I took like two weeks off and went and relaxed. And then I came over to Siena and I think I started June 23rd or 24th. And then I ended the first week of or first week of July. So it was pretty warm a couple days. I guess I missed like a, there was a heat wave the week before I started the week that I took off. And then the month before that, I guess they had a ton of rain. So I kind of hit like a good spot. It's very hot here now. I'm still, I'm now in Sicily. I'm in a little town in Marsala on the like far west coast of Sicily because I met a girl in Bali in February when I was learning Ashtanga yoga. I, you know, that's the other thing. If you're open to life, you end up in places. I had no idea I would be here four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> like there's an invitation. It's like, okay, I'll come. So I finished in Rome. I went and saw a friend in, outside of Pescara and then I ended up here. So yeah, it was, it's, it's warm here now. Um, when I hiked, apparently June is not a popular month to hike. Uh, April and May are very popular on the Via Francigena and July and August. And so I spent many nights by myself in the dormitory and I was the only pilgrim. So I don't know 
Um, and when I arrived, they said I was the only pilgrim of the day. Oh, wow. So I got my little testimony. Like, they called it a testimonium, I think, or testimonial, which is like the Compostela, but it's um, the one from Rome. But it's really nice because you, you, you go to the Vatican. And so here's the tip. You go to the Vatican, you go to the, if you're looking at the Vatican, go to the right side where people enter, skip the whole line, go around to the back, find the tour, find the security guard and let, and show them your pilgrim passport. And they will let you cut the line. They'll send your bag through the scanner and they let you take your bag into St. Peter's Basilica. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, so it's, so you go in with all your stuff, right? Your little backpack. And it's like, wow, I did it. I finished. Like, you know, it's really great. So yeah, and they give you your certificate. And, but I, I really hope more people will hike that because it's a really beautiful walk. I mean, I just did tu- Tuscany, you know, from Siena. And then you go into La- Lazio, Lazio, L-A-Z-I-O region where Rome is. And it's really beautiful. There's some beautiful forests. And I don't know, I met really lovely people. And if you can learn a little bit of Italian before you come, because I would say not very many people speak English um, in some of these smaller towns. So, um, just the general greetings, if you can get the salutations they're they're really, you know, like that kind of breaks the ice, I think with anyone. And then you can do Google translate, but yeah, I had a really, really wonderful time. So, and people love to stop you because they're like curious about what you're doing. Cause there's not a lot of us out here on the Via Francigena. So, um, it's a, it's a really great walk. I saw that several people sent me that the New York times posted, like wrote an article It's called 2023, the year of the long, long walk. And the El Camino, of course, was number one. But I was really sad to see that the Via Francigena didn't make it. So, oh, really? That's crazy because, it, like, like I think it's going to be the next the next big walk because it's so beautiful, and you can go from um, Saint Bernard Pass and you come down, so you go through all these beautiful parts. And I've walked sections of it uh, in autumn in Tuscany, and it was just like beautiful. And you know, you the, the farmers are burning their fields, which is kind of crazy, but it smells like. You know, the smell of smoke they've brought in the harvest. It's just really special. I always just, you, you know, you look at the crowds that are on um, the Camino Frances and it's great, but it's like there's something special if if there's not crowds of people as well. That I think, you know, n- neither is good or bad, but if you can go and have a walk where it's not just everyone having the Camino, where you can have kind of a private Camino, um, that's really special as well. Yeah, I also think though, like, again, going back to like the Camino gives you what you need and not what you want. So if you're drawn to one of those, that's really crowded, you probably you're learning something about yourself while you're there, you know? Yeah, exactly. When I did it in 18 and 21, it wasn't very crowded. And then I did the Norte in 22, which was not crowded at all. And then this Portuguese one, I just did Porto on, it was pretty crowded. Like, you know, they were worried about booking rooms and stuff. I'm kind of a traditionalist where I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, not going to, I did, I would book if like the paths can like, met up and then it was like a lot of a lot of people but most of the time I just walk in then I <laughs> walk in and say do you have a bed you know but um and I did that all on the Via Francigena the only place I booked was Siena because I was gonna stay two nights and that's where I was starting and I needed to get a guidebook and all that kind of stuff and get my um pilgrim passport and all that but even if you can only afford and have time to take a walk in your neighborhood just do that you know like get outside do get some fresh air you know so i'm interested in talking a little bit about your change from uh, a corporate nine to five lifestyle you mentioned it a couple of times already to a full-time traveler and uh, this is something i think a lot of people say 
early in their life, I just want to travel. And then a lot of people wait until they're 65 and they've lost mobility or, you know, a variety of things. They don't have the ability or willingness to sleep in a dormitory anymore or, or do kind of like the the hard part of travel, which, as you said, like sometimes it's just, yeah, the food's terrible. You get food poisoning. You're in a, a rickety bus for 14 hours. You're in a terrible hotel where you get to a point where it's like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, you've done it much. Yeah, you've done it much earlier. So so what drove this moving from the corporate lifestyle and the fast lifestyle to traveling? Well, so I think I've always kind of been like just a wanderer. Like even as a kid, I just could not wait to get out of Kansas and see the world. And so right after college, I took six months and lived in Prague in the Czech Republic and had a little apartment with some friends and traveled around Europe. And it was really, really great. And it kind of, I think, opened the door. But, you know, I am from the United States and we're very corporate driven and we're very um, capitalistic and, you know, everybody else was have, getting a job. And so it was like I needed to, you know, start my career. So I came back and um, I had a couple little other like small jobs until I could get like my career job. And I um, was lucky enough to have my first job be with the Kansas City Royals baseball team, which was, you know, mind blowing. And I worked in their marketing department. and it was a fantastic job. I loved it. It was so much fun, but there was always kind of this piece of me, like, you know, I still want to travel. So I would take my, um, in major league baseball, they closed down the week of Christmas to new year's cause nothing's really happening. So it's like, I would take my two week vacation and kind of like put it with that. And then I would go abroad someplace to, you know, or I'd combine it with Thanksgiving just so I could get a little extra time and go to Europe or Brazil or South Africa or wherever I went. And so there's kind of always this piece behind me and I loved my job, but at the same time I was internally having a little bit of conflict at 24, which seems a little ridiculous. And I thought, you know, I want to know how this story ends. So I am a total weirdo. All my friends will tell you this, but I signed up to be a hospice volunteer. And I thought, I want to go talk to people who are at the end of their life to know, to learn what they, any lessons they have to give. So it was mutually beneficial because when, I don't know if you've ever had someone that in your family that's been sick and dying, the family always focuses on the acute situation of like, how are you feeling? What can I get you? Where when I went in after we got through, how are you feeling? What can I do for you? I would say, what was your first kiss like? what was your first job? What were your hobbies? What, you know, like what were some memories with your children? And like, they got to relive their life, but while they were reliving their life, they were teaching me lessons. And I had some really incredible patients that just, they changed the way I lived. And what it did for me at 24 was it made me think long-term, especially in terms of investing. So I knew that I wanted to travel again because I had had this little travel bug from right after college and I knew I wanted to live abroad and I knew that I wanted to learn other languages. Just that was just something that was always interesting to me. So I went back to my jobs like, you know, and um, but I started investing in the stock market. I started um, giving, putting as much in my 401k as possible. I didn't buy crap for my house. I didn't buy new clothes. I still have a 1998 <laughs> Honda Accord five speed with 350,000 miles. Whenever I go back to Kansas, that's what I drive. And it, the paint is like off of it. So, but that is my priority. Like if you are not a traveler and you want to be a, a nester and have like beautiful things in your home, 
that is who you should be. I am not telling you to come travel. But the biggest thing is to know yourself and then take little tiny action steps every day to get to where you want to be. So I did not know that I was going to like kind of semi-retire at 40 and be a travel writer. I didn't know what that looked like. I just knew that I wanted the financial freedom to be able to do that if I wanted to. So whenever I got, like I was telling Anne, your employee about this, that, you know, my first job, I made X amount of money. And then when I went to my next job, I made quite a bit of more money, but I kept living off the salary of the first job. And I just banked everything I had and invested it. So I had a, I have a very wise financial father, like father who's financially wise. And he really taught me about investing and he helped me manage my money and was like, every time I was going to make a purchase, it's like, do I really need this? Or is this taking away from me living a bigger dream? So that's like the biggest piece of advice I have. So when people are like, how do you afford to do this all the time? Cause I've been, I haven't, I've done freelance work for other people and I started my own company and I do, I do my own writing, but, um, I haven't worked in a corporate setting or for a team, or I also worked in live entertainment. So like concerts and family shows and stuff at arenas. And, um, but the biggest thing was I had to invest in myself, you know? And so I, you know, soothed the itchy feet every now and again. Like I left, um, one of my jobs and I took some time off and I went to Australia. So I started with the Kansas city Royals and I helped to open an arena in Kansas city. It's, it's now called the T-Mobile center, but it was, um, sprint center when I helped to open it. So I was on that team and we had like tons of concerts. And then I, I was really, really missing traveling like long-term. So I took six months and went to Australia and New Zealand and Southeast Asia and then funny enough, when I came back, I, uh, I had met a girl in Melbourne and I'd always wanted to work on a dude ranch. But in the meantime, I had heard that a guy that I worked with was op- like working on um, opening Barclays Center, an arena in Brooklyn, New York. And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to live in New York. So I just put a little bug in his ear and I sent him my resume. I said, hey, you know, if anything opens up, I would really love an opportunity to interview for that. And I did all my research on it. So I knew everything about the building before I even contacted him. And he was like, sorry, we don't have anything right now. So in the meantime, I thought, well, if they don't have anything right now, like I'll go do something else. So I went and worked on this dude ranch in Jackson Hole, Wyoming at 30 or 32 or however old I was, which everybody thought I was crazy, but I really wanted to experience it. So life for me is just about experiences. I don't do things for money. Um, I just do them because I feel inspired to do them. And I had a great time on that dude ranch. And then my contract was like a few weeks from being up. And I thought, wow, I probably need to start sending out my resume and, you know, reaching out to people and saying like, I need another, like a, another corporate job. I'm kind of running out of money here. Like, you know, the day-to-day money. And, uh, that weekend he sent me an email that said, when you finish being a cowgirl, we need you in New York. And I, I went to New York, like, I don't know, like six days later or something like that. So, and then I was on, at worked at Barclays Center and helped with the Brooklyn Nets and then helped do the temporary move of the New York Islanders to Brooklyn and now they're back. But um, yeah, it was a really great experience. And I just, I just feel like if you don't try and, you know, put the square peg in the round hole and you just, you kind of open up to life experiences, you know, timing is everything. But if you equipped yourself you know, like I didn't know what I was going to do 
with the travel thing. I just knew I wanted to travel. And um, I didn't know my life would look like this. It's not going to look like this forever. I can tell you that because I don't want to be 50 and still living out of my backpack. But it's perfect for me now. And I've met so many great people and I've had so many wonderful experiences. But I think it's because I'm open to seeing what is out there. And, you know, I've become non judgmental about things and I've just said, yeah, I'll give this a try, you know? So I kind of have a bizarre story, but yeah. It seems like you were blessed with this kind of clarity of purpose early on. And I know, uh, looking at, you know, just like my peer group that I grew up with, some of them seem like they never really knew what they wanted. And, and I think, you know, coming into, you know, I'm in my mid forties, a lot of them seem really, you know, they kind of just went with the flow. You know, they got a job, they got a house, they got a car. And they're kind of sitting there saying like, I hate this. Like, what the hell have I been doing for 25 years? And I always feel, I'm similar to you. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I would work a job, an office job, make enough money, go and just go travel for three or four months. And then once I had a real job after that, I just kind of put money away. But I almost feel like I was lucky that I understood that when I look at people like my friends who, who, some of them, not all of them, some of them, it just feels like they never could really identify what they wanted to accomplish in their life. And I think working in the hospice allowed you to understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just volunteered for, I mean, four or five years, but, and I just did it, you know, I would go to the nursing home and, you know, I'm supposed to go one hour a week. And sometimes I'd just fall in love with these patients and get such <laughs> great information that I would go three times a week because I just loved it so much. But um, I think, I still have no idea what I'm doing, Richard. And I did not know that I would like to work in professional sports ended up being like an amazing experience. But honestly, I didn't, I did not know that I was going to do that. I, I did, I was not trying to get into sports. It was like someone knew someone that needed help with something. And I just went, I was actually the waitress for the owners in the, during the games, <laughs> like the wait, the full-time waitress had quit. And so they were like, Hey, you're back from Europe. Like you don't have a job yet. Can you be the waitress? I was like, sure. And then I'm just one of those people that it's like, well, if I'm going to be the waitress, I'm going to be the best darn waitress you've ever had, you know? So I really, and I have fun with it. Like, it's just about the experience. And I don't take things too seriously in that respect of like, you know, I don't identify, like I had some really fun, cool jobs, but that is not all there is to Emily. You know what I mean? It is not, it does not identify. It's not my identity. It's, I have so many other things that I'm interested in. And I think if you, those words know thyself, that's what you have to do. You have to spend time with yourself, whether it's in therapy or on a long walk or, you know, in your own backyard, whatever, you've got to spend time with yourself meditating or doing whatever it is that, you know, helps you connect with yourself, but you're not going to get anywhere if you don't know who you are and what your intention is. And that's the thing really with my blog, um, I just started it. So when I would go on these Caminos, I would go delete every app on my phone. No one would hear from me. I would call my parents once a week and say, I'm alive. And that would be it. Like my friends are like, what are you doing? Like, and I'm like, I'm on a long walk. And they're like, doing what? So anyway, the Francais is pretty spiritual to me. Like um, I don't do it for religious purposes, but for me, it is kind of a walking meditation. It's not just a hike. And when I decided to do the Norte in 2022, my friend said, okay, this is just a hike. So can you write about it every day? Cause I was, I would write emails home on my travels, oh, like forever, my whole life. And they'd be like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I was like, I'm not writing a book. And 
So anyway, I said, okay, I will, I'll give myself a challenge. In addition to walking the Norte, I will write a, a Facebook post every single day about people I meet. And, you know, like it needs to like have some sort of interesting subject, like not just like, oh, I walked this far today. I didn't even put the distances, I don't think. And so I wrote about the people and just what I was going through. And then I put some photos and people just really, really enjoyed it. And it was nice. I, I like it started this little community of, amongst my friends. So one of my friends said, you know, you really should start writing on a platform where other people can read it. So there's a platform called Substacks. It's kind of like Patreon for the video, but it's for writers. It's a wonderful platform and you can sign up and follow my newsletter and comes to your inbox. I will tell you that I do not have a, have a rhythm. I just write sporadically. When I'm on the pilgrimages, I write every single day. Like right now, I haven't written a post for three days or something because I've just been traveling with friends. So it just comes whenever. But, you know, with any company, you need a mission statement. I'm sure you have one for yours. And so my mission statement and my intention is um, you can Google the top 10 things to do in Rome. I don't I don't need to write about that. I want to showcase the people I meet, the things that I experience, how it impacts me or us together, the people together. And I want you to take what I have written about and I hope it lifts you up. I hope it you find some goodness out of it and it helps you be a better mother, a better neighbor, a better coworker, whatever you're doing in your world. I hope it like raises the consciousness of the people who read it and we just all like, you know, as they say, the high tide raises all boats, you know? So that's really kind of the purpose. That's uh that's spectacular. Spectacular and and a, and a great a great kind of mission statement. Uh, Emily, I, I want to say thanks for coming on the show. This was really inspirational. I think there's lots of people who, you know, want to achieve what you found through the outdoors and traveling. Uh, your, your Substack uh, uh, article blog, what is it again? Yeah, it's a blog. It's called, it's The Wandering Wanderer, because I'm a curious traveler, .com, and it's on the Substack platform. So if you just Google Emily, The Wandering Wanderer, you will find me. And I can send you links for the show notes or whatever. So, um, yeah. And I'm on Instagram and all that stuff. Actually, there's uh, I have a person who does all my social media because I really don't want to be an influencer. Like, I just want to be like a writer who shares. I just want to be a storyteller, really. I just want to tell stories of the people I meet and hopefully it'll change people's lives, you know? So uh, that's, that, that's incredible. So I'll put these on the show notes. And Emily, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was really great to hear hear your story. Richard, it was really fun. It was great. And with that, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.